This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you uh, for everyone around the world who tunes in. I have a fascinating show for you today. A subject that's always been close to my heart and also something that has intrigued me since I first started to look up at the heavens. It's a great film called Accidental Truth on the UFO Phenomenon, and it was produced by my friend Matthew Modine, the great actor and uh, just a great human being. And the writer, director, and really the originator of the project is with us today. Such an honor to welcome to the family for the first time, Ron James. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Ron, when did you first get interested in the UFO phenomenon? I've always been like passively interested in it, but in about 2008, I, I, I own a video production company and I got hired by this guy to produce and live stream a UFO conference. And um, it was the X conference in Washington, DC. It was Steve Bassett. And uh, I just got kind of hooked. And Another thing was happening to me at the same time. I was kind of having this spiritual reckoning about what I wanted to do with my video production career. And I decided I didn't want to go and just be a cog in in the machine and produce the kind of stuff that we see on TV. So I started looking at being able to, to cover topics such as life after death, the ET question, nature, reality. And those are kind of the, the fields that I dabble in with my productions now. The film is very powerful, and I'm going to break it down and talk to you about it. Have you ever had any direct experience, like where you saw something where you thought, wow, that doesn't seem like it's from this world? Not with the E.T. thing. You know, I, and, and people kind of, when I tell them that, they kind of look at me with a puzzled look. But I, I kind of feel like if you believe in fate and destiny and purpose, that um, maybe I was put here to do this work for, and in order to maintain the kind of objectivity that it takes to be a journalist. I'm not really going to be having those kind of things happen because i think that once you become an experiencer and something happens to you like that uh there's really no it, no turning back from your beliefs and i like to uh in anything i do i want to stay objective and so maybe that's a, a cosmic reason why it hasn't happened because it's almost bizarre actually that i've never really like seen a ufo or had any kind of experience like that well, there's definitely still time. I've had direct experiences like that and seen things. And I've had countless people I trust tell me and swear me to confidentiality because they didn't want to be labeled crazy in different levels of the entertainment business, finance, billionaires, movie stars, you name it. And they're not lying because they, they're not looking for any attention. Uh, you, you just reminded me, I did a show about a, year, a couple of years ago with this great director who's born in South Africa, who's done like 80 National Geographic specials and won a ton of awards. I can't think of his name in this minute. But they were up in Canada filming this nature thing with, you know, their whole couple cameras, the high whatever. And there it was. This incredible UFO just showed up. So they're filming it with movie quality footage for a while. It's just there, silent. It's a saucer-like object. It's incredible. And they feel this vibe, and then it just silently leaves. So they call the Canadian Space Defense. They put him in touch with the Pentagon. The Pentagon says, oh, please send us the footage. We want to see this. And so the director was smart, got a messenger to hand deliver it. They signed for it, everything, and they sent him the footage. This is before the Internet. Time goes by and they keep saying, what's going on? What's going on? Well, we're still studying it. And then finally, like after a year or so, they said, what's up? Give us our thing back. And they said, oh, we never got it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stories of things like that happening. It, it seems like it's more common than not. Yeah. So he wished he had that footage, but I know there's, he's not lying. And it, it was pretty amazing. How did this film come together? Where, when, when did you suddenly feel like, all right, I want to, I want to make a film about this. Well, I started shooting interviews back in 2009. Um, I, I would be at these conferences and I would set up a green screen. In fact, I was probably like one of the first people that did this. A lot of people do it now. But um, I would set up a green screen and I would pull all the, the speakers aside. So the result of that was this gigantic archive. I've got probably 100 hard drives 
of interviews that have never seen the light of day. And I knew at some point I was going to make a, a UFO film. In 2012, I made one called The Disclosure Dialogues, and that, that turned out pretty good. Um, it was basically taking different people in the field and recording them talking to each other. Um, it won a couple of awards. It, it, was, it was good for its time, but I knew that I was going to do something bigger. Um, and then in 2018, Lou Elizondo came to speak at the MUFON Symposium. And uh, I got him in the uh, in the room for an interview, and very very few people have. You'll see him all over the place doing Skype, uh, Skype interviews and Zoom interviews, low quality video. Um, but there's very few where he's sat in a studio lighting environment and interviewed really well. And um, that was because you know he was tied up with uh, to the Stars Academy and he was tied up with A and E, and so it was really hard to get him on camera. But I, I succeeded in that. And during the interview, he actually kind of slipped the tongue a couple of times and, and said things that he probably didn't mean to say. And I, I kind of thought about that for quite a while. And I realized, you know, just this one thing where he says this one thing is you could build a film around that. And so that's when I started getting the idea for, for Accidental Truth. It was originally going to be called something like the Elizondo tapes or something crazy, but the, the, the Lou kind of nicks that, um, which, which is fine. Um, so then it sort of grew from there. I, got the, uh, I made the deal with 1091 to distribute the film um, before we'd really even started editing it. They believed so much in the project, they just took it on. And um, then after, after I got the deal, that's when I started realizing, well, you know, let's 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 do more with this. Let's try to get like Ralph Blumenthal and let's try to get Michio Kaku. And, and so I ended up getting these really high power people um, to the point where it's literally a, an all star cast of, of folks. Will you talk about who Lou is for anyone who might not know? I know because I read about this stuff, but the average listener around the world might not know. Sure. So in 2017, the New York Times broke the story about the Tic Tac UFOs and the Navy pilots and all that kind of thing. And Lou Elizondo came forward as the man that ran the government program called ATIP, the Advanced Aerial Threat. Um, what, what is the rest of it? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> but, but it's a, it's it's ATIP is was the uh, the vernacular for it. So so he came forward as the guy that ran that program. And um, oh, advanced aerial threat identification program. Sorry about that. Uh, and so he made national headlines as the guy that came on CNN and said, you know, hey, I work with the government and we might not be alone. And he's been, you know, pretty famous ever since. So that's Lou. And Ralph Blumenthal is the, is the guy who with Leslie Keen and another writer broke the story in the New York Times. Um, and so that that's where those guys came from. And as I started to collect these interviews, I've got Chris Mellon, the Undersecretary of Defense, basically inadvertently admitting that there's a group studying UFO crash debris. I started realizing that these guys were telling us stuff that they didn't mean to tell us. And that's when I came up with the title Accidental Truth. I thought it was original, but when I Googled it, I guess there's another film called that from South America or something, but I just thought it was the appropriate title. And I love that about the film too. Be like, uh, is there have there been crashes that were recovered? Uh, no. Uh, but we, are you studying material from the crashes? Yes. Oh wait, what? It can't be one without the. It's like you keep catching them saying certain things. Or I love the way you'd interview two people and like just assume, get them talking about it. Well, yeah, on that crash site, and they just start talking about stuff. So it kind of comes out. All you have to do is watch the film and read between the lines and make up your own mind. We're not trying to convince you of anything. Um, we're just presenting some evidence that, that we've uncovered. And, and really, it's about Freedom of Information Act requests and the facts around those that really come to paint a, a picture that you just, it's hard to deny it. Yet they do. Why are they denying this? Are they just trying to keep the narrative to this 3D little world and we focus on Brad and Angelina breaking up and the Kardashians? Well, there's a little bit of that, but the, I think the biggest thing is what Accidental Truth is about at its core is the fact that they came out with this new story that said Project Blue Book ended, nothing happened within government or, until the ATIP program started, and we know that's not true. And, and the reason they covered this up is because a whole lot of discoveries were made, a whole lot of programs were done, none of which would pass public muster today. In other words, if the people that were doing these things 
came forward and said, oh, yeah, we've been lying to you for 100 years. We've got all this technology, blah, 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 blah. There'd be a legal accountability and, and there'd just be a whole lot of problems. So they've come up with this fantastic way of whitewashing the past and bubbling up some of these discoveries and some of this information through this new narrative that they're telling. And Accidental Truth is kind of about blowing that apart. And is it just because stuff started to come out, people have cameras in their phones, the Navy start? It seems like they're releasing just enough, but also trying to keep most of the iceberg underwater. Well, they're going to keep most of the iceberg underwater, I think. We, we may never get the whole truth. But I think that what's happening is that there's something coming. When you look at the civilian exploration of space, it's like you can keep saying that there's nothing on the moon until somebody lands on it that doesn't have to, that's not a government agency. You can keep saying that there's no evidence of, of life on Mars until Elon Musk lands on a pyramid or whatever is there. I'm not saying that that's the case, but you, at some point, that something is going to become so evident that it can't be denied anymore. And if you're not out in front of it, there's going to be a problem. But then the, the other question is, well, how do you get out in front of it in such a way that there's openness about the topic, but we can never, ever admit what we've been doing for the last basically 100 years? It seems like an impossible predicament. Yeah, it's a, it's a very it's an interesting predicament. And the way they're trying to, to, to solve it when um. When the, the story broke in the New York Times, it was not a spontaneous thing. Even Ralph Blumenthal says it was spontaneous, but I have a hard time believing that because Lou Elizondo resigned from his government position um, shortly before the story broke. And then all of a sudden up pops the TTSA, the To the Stars Academy group led by Tom DeLong. And these guys are this very tight group of former you know, government officials, CIA directors, guy that ran the skunk works. I mean, it's just a very odd group of characters to all of a sudden be acting like they're our best friends and they want to tell us the truth. But that was all orchestrated, in my opinion, that the uh, Lou resigned. He went to work for TTSA. They were expecting to raise a ton of money. And at that point, they were going to kind of control the narrative moving forward. And there's a whole little cabal of people that attempted and actually have somewhat succeeded in controlling this story as it, as it propels ahead and um you're either in or you're out you're either towing the line or you're not and it's a, it's really hard to watch but it's happening and so i made accidental truth to kind of just blow the lid off that and throw a big monkey wrench in the system and i love the film for anyone listening definitely take a look see and what's interesting ron is even if you're senator barry goldwater or the president of the united states or whoever you can't get at it. It's like this cabal in the government that controls this and you can't get a straight answer. You can't get to see certain areas. And that's bizarre. It's like a part of the Air Force, but a, I don't know. Do you, what's your take on all that? Well, back, back when this thing really became evident in the modern era, I mean, there's evidence of uh, you know, some sort of interaction with a non-human or alternative human intelligence going back as far as all of recorded history. It's known that the Vatican has a stash of information that they're not coming off that probably predates, you know, modern religion. And, and so this is not something that just popped up. And the, uh, the, the situation when it happened back in, we believe that there was a, a, a series of encounters that happened back in the 40s, Roswell being the predominant one that people know about, but there were also others. Um, and that a group was formed to kind of manage this. Some call it Majestic 12, and, and some people debunk that, but there would have been some sort of a group convened by the government to, to look at this and, 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 you know, decide what to do about it. Majestic 12 is as good a guess as any, but um, this group would have had the, the duty to uh, explore what's going on, summarize it and figure out what to do about it. And at some point it was decided there's no way we're telling the public for any variety of reasons. And then this group basically went completely dark accountability to nobody and created this huge um, stovepiped infrastructure to study this topic. And over time, it just got more and more separated from any kind of accountable government. And, um, and it, it got ported into private industry. We, we, we can trace things that, that uh, 
came out of some of these crashes and went into private industry once it's in it's inside a company it's it's no longer um, subject to the freedom of information act and they can hide anything so we have this giant labyrinth of secrecy very very few people sit at the top of the pyramid and know the whole story and over time those people are passing away so there's a good chance that none of this story is in the institutional memory of anybody and so, or any organization and so it's just a it's just a bizarre thing what do we know about roswell right now what do you know about roswell overwhelming anecdotal evidence that uh something that was not modern technology at the time crashed in and around these these places um there's tons of witnesses more than any other situation there is reason to believe that some of the materials from the crash came out and i'm not talking about the book by philip corso where he says integrated circuits and night vision and um, fiber optics and stuff came from that maybe it did maybe it didn't there seems to be a case that we had some of that technology before so it's i'm not clinging to that but there does seem to be a chain of unusual materials that came from that time uh, and then were subbed out for analysis and, and development from Wright-Patterson to a corporation called the Battelle Corporation, Battelle National Institute. And then after that, all of a sudden, uh, a naval weapons research laboratory proclaims the discovery of shape-shifting metal and that they came up with it, but were able to actually trace that the this particular titanium research came from Wright-Patterson to Battelle and then bubbled up through the uh, Naval Weapons uh, Research Laboratory. So there's a whole verifiable chain of evidence that contradicts the official story about where this particular metal came from, and there's more like it. So there's a good case for, for Roswell actually being a real event. And in the film, we actually show an interview that I shot with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, back in 2009 and he's passed away now but in the film he describes how he was from roswell that's where he grew up and when he started hearing all the stuff about roswell being a nasa astronaut he had certain access to certain people and so he started doing an investigation and he was pulled into a room and he was basically told yeah that roswell was real there was it was a craft there were bodies and and this is what he was told and he repeats the story in the film it's pretty groundbreaking it was compelling. He's compelling. Here's what I know about Roswell. We had a guest on who'd written a book and he spent 30 something years in the town researching and doing this. Was it Don Schmidt? I think it was. Yeah. He's in, he's in the film. I remember. And he, and he was great in the film too, that the, the craft crashed. A lot of people saw this and knew in the town and that there was an Air Force base not too far away where they kept all the nuclear warheads and the B-52. So this was like the top creme de la creme Air Force intelligentsia. They come down and look at the craft and everything, and they put out a statement nationally that a craft has crashed from another place, a saucer type thing, and they recovered some bodies and blah, blah, blah. The next day, the Pentagon puts out a, a thing that says, never mind, they were wrong. It was a weather balloon that crashed. And he says, how could they have ever mistaken one for the other? This was the intelligentsia. We wouldn't even mistake it, that they started to cover up right away. And then he just had endless things in the town that didn't add up and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But there seems to be overwhelming evidence that that actually happened and is real. Yeah, you know what we uncovered when we were making the movie, and this is something very few people know about, that is, you know, I call that period of time the gift that keeps on giving. You know, just when you think you know everything about Roswell or before something else pops up. But what was happening during that time was that there, there was no Air Force yet. It, during this period of time, there, it was the Air Force and the Army were, were the same. And the base at Roswell was the Roswell Army Airfield. And... um. So during this whole transition of coming out of World War II, um, the nuclear development, the transition and, and division of Army and Air Force, I mean, a very tumultuous, very, very busy time. You know, obviously, there was a lot of places to put your attention if you were a, somebody in government. Um, but out of this, the Army forms the Interplanetary Research Phenomenon Group. And it's like, 
with all of this going on, why did they need that? And and so we 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 were looking into it, and we find out that yes, indeed, this group existed. It was folded into uh, the its files were folded into Project Blue Book, according to the official story. But the fact is, there's no files from this group in Project Blue Book. And you know, when you when you look back, and you're like, okay, there's rumors of crashes that happened. <clears throat> but there's no real way to absolutely 100% prove it without evidence or photos. But why would the army, the army form a group called the, uh, you know, the, the interplanetary phenomenon research group in 1947, which is when Roswell happened. So, you know, with why did they do that? And it's kind of like that. There's just a lot of stuff in accidental truth that, that it, it just paints a picture that it's just really hard to not see what's going on. You had another crash in there. Will you talk about that one too, around that same period of time? Well, yeah, there was Aztec um, uh, crash, and there's, there's another one over by Kingman, Arizona, where supposedly they took the get they took the craft apart and drove it on a truck um, and, and used a barge to cross the Colorado River right at Hoover Dam to get it to to wherever they were going to study it. I think it was took it to Area 51. But there's a there's over a hundred stories of ufo crashes that have witnesses um you know images uh, drawn up this guy michael Schratt, who's in my film has done an amazing job with this research where he basically has uncovered these stories and it is it's it's pretty amazing so there's a there, there's a lot of crashes that we talk about we talk about a few of them in the film um but there's literally well over a hundred cases that have descriptions of craft, multiple eyewitnesses, uh, military people, um, a certain amount of records of, you know, radio communications and deployments. So, and like we say in the film, there only has to be one that that can be proven completely all the way through. What's MUFON for people that don't understand? You're involved with that. Yeah, so uh, I, I, a long time ago, I did a joint venture with MUFON. We created MUFON Television, as a, and I own half of that. It's an online TV network that basically is a, um, a collection of commercial-free UFO-related material. But MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network, and it's the largest and oldest organization uh, devoted to the study of this phenomenon. And their charter says the scientific understanding of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. And that's that's what they do. They actually have close to five 5,000 members right now all over the world. We have active field investigators that will actually go out and investigate reports and cases if they warrant it. And um, uh, I'm their media relations director. So whenever you know somebody wants to use our material on ancient aliens or whatever i'm the guy that does that and we were just featured a couple of weeks ago in a brand new episode of ancient aliens and so that was really gratifying they they kind of showed the world what the group is about and really these visitors and different beings they've been coming here since before time absolutely yeah um one thing that we that we point out in the film is that you know, during this time that supposedly nothing was going on, we actually tracked down a, a very elusive army colonel that admitted that he was running one of these programs that the government denies existed. And he tells us in the film that they were seeing the same thing 30, 40 years ago uh, that the modern uh, press is reporting and that Lou Elizondo is reporting these craft that did things that defy physics, uh, impossible flight characteristics, and no understanding where they came from. This is not new. This has been going on since since they started looking at it. Was that Colonel Alexander? That was Colonel Alexander. He is Colonel Colonel John Alexander is a mystery wrapped inside a mystery. This is they they made the movie Men Who Stare at Goats. He one of the characters in that movie was based on him. Um, he was involved in secret government research into esoteric things such as psychic abilities, mind control. Um, you know, he's involved in MK Ultra, supposedly. Uh, but this guy is so elusive and mysterious that when you do a Freedom of Information Act request about his military career, they deny he even existed in the military. And by law, 
the Freedom of Information Act is supposed to reveal basic information about anybody in the military, their their name, their their serial, their rank, and and a few other things. But this was just complete. Who? Uh, we don't know anything about this guy. It was horrible. So you know, it's very very clear that the, that John Alexander was knee deep in a lot of the stuff that was going on. I remember years ago, Stephen Greer did this thing on Larry King and disclosure. Remember, he was this like 2001, maybe. I don't know. But there was a guy who was the commander at an Air Force base over in England at the time. And he said that they got a call. He was there and they said the patrol said there's a craft here, a spherical craft. It's just hovering. It's gigantic. A few feet off the ground. So he said he and this is all on Larry King. He came out. And they were surrounding it. It didn't make a sound. They looked at it. It was obviously not from here in the earth. And he and then after like an hour, so they called all the superiors. They just were like, well, just observe. And then uh, it just slowly rose and, you know, zapped away. But he said just being in the presence of it, he felt changed forever, like something happened to him. Yeah, so that was um, th- th- there was a couple people involved in that, and I've interviewed Charles Halt was the actual base commander, and for years he was like you know towing the official line. Uh, yeah, basically all that wasn't there was nothing to that. But now if you talk to him, I've interviewed him twice, and I and I know him. He almost made it into the film, but I just ran out of time. I wanted to keep it to that hour and a half length. There's un- unpublished segments of the film that'll probably get put out as bonus material, but. Yeah, he uh, he's changed his tune over the years. And there was uh, John Burroughs, who actually got close to the craft and then was subjected to all kinds of strange interrogations. The military refused to release any of his medical records, refused to talk about what what happened. It's believed that he was debriefed with drugs and, and all kinds of other stuff to get him to convey what really went on. But he had health problems later on in life, and he finally got the government to uh, to give him health benefits uh, for all the stuff, even though they still would not admit that, that what happened to him was because of that encounter. So Charles Halt to this day now will say, yeah, it's like, uh, we don't know what that was. It, it was not something from the space. It wasn't something that we knew about. But he wasn't saying that at first. Where is Stephen Greer in all this? I mean, he's been promising any day now for about 20 years. I felt like, in all due respect, he lost some credibility. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I know Steven pretty well. I have, I, you know, I own a production company and, um, one of the things that, that I've done is, is a lot of live streaming. And so for Steven's movies, I've, I've hosted the red carpet. Um, so in other words, when, when there's a, a premiere of one of his movies and we're live streaming the red carpet and we're doing interviews and all that kind of stuff, that was usually me. Um, I did the phenomenon. I did the, uh, or not the phenomenon. I'm sorry. I did unacknowledged serious, and the, the latest one, the CE5 that came out that had a premiere. Um, he's definitely got an interesting take on things. And uh, you're either on board or you're not. That's really all I can say about that. Very diplomatic. <laughs> and also, he was supposed to come on for a couple of years. They were, he was always about to come on, and then it just never happened. We'd love to have him on. I mean, I would just give him a forum. But uh, I know he was leading people to go out and try to connect and contact and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that, you know, that, that may be something that's actually happening. A lot of people that have, that have uh, gone with his stuff actually really believe that they're having some kind of contact and, and maybe they are. Um, I'm just not sure that uh, everything that is under that umbrella is correct. There was an excellent part in your film well, near the end, we we're talking about, you know, interconscious connections, which I think is very, very possible. And also that multidimensionals and interdimensional type stuff. It really, I love how you open this whole thing up. Well, because the the idea that, that the explanation to all of this is some sort of extraterrestrial presence from another planet, it does not explain everything that's going on. There are, you know, the, the, like, just like Greer says, with these interactions that, he's, that he claims are, are going on, there's this interaction with consciousness. And we don't really know what life is. 
And if we could explain everything that we're seeing happening, the different types of experience or phenomena, which really we can't deny it's a legit thing. It's something is definitely happening. Uh, all of the different types of encounters, all of the different ways that, that we're seeing things, just little green men from Alpha Centauri is not enough. <clears throat> we, there is probably an extraterrestrial element to, to this. It's, it certainly can't be ruled out, but there's also like, we don't even know what life is. We, we, there, there could be beings existing right outside the spectrum of our ability to sense and they're all around us and we just don't know and there could be uh, a whole other species or alternative human species that's been here all along that is that is living inside the planet or under the water there seems to be evidence that you know these things are coming out of the oceans and they have the ability to go into space so there are so many potential answers to, to what we're looking at and what we're seeing that the conjecture now among the people that are really talking about it a lot is that it's not any one thing and it very well could be all of the above. So we, in the movie, we just want to open up those possibilities. Well, you opened the door for me to share something that I don't know if I shared on the air ever before, but I have a friend, I spent my summers up in the vineyard. And my friend is a, a world-class sailor, a younger guy at the time. And he and his uh, chipmates, his crew, would take these expensive boats from the vineyard down to the Caribbean, usually via Bermuda after the hurricane season. And one year, he doesn't share this publicly, they were on the boat, and there was three of them. I think it was uh, around the 1990s. And uh, they were just beautiful mornings in there sailing towards whatever and sailing south. And out of the sea comes this gigantic craft. That, and, you know, they're like, oh, my, you know, you'd freak out and also be in wonder. Just not far off from them, too. Just uh, maybe 40 yards where you could see this thing come up. And it was so beautiful. And the water just flowed off it. And it hovered there kind of just stayed with them for a little while and then just went off silently, never made a sound. And they're like, what was, so he said he never had believed anything until that moment. And then he said it was unde undeniable. And then I dug. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, but he didn't want to tell people either. Interestingly. And then I heard about uh, other people sharing stories about all over the California coast, underwater, Southern California off of Catalina and that underwater submarine activity to try to, was there uh, bases under there or whatever? And just tons of sightings from people, come things coming up out of the water. And that's also where that amazing Navy footage we got to see on the 60 Minutes segment. What do you know about all that underwater stuff on the California coast? Well, my house for the longest time was right there. I, I lived in San Pedro for five years, uh, directly overlooking Catalina. My house was right on the ocean before I moved to Sedona. And um, those cameras that they use in that movie, Terror, Terror in the Sky, where they're tracking the UFOs, those cameras were actually developed at my house partially. And um, Christopher O'Brien was one of the ones that invented them and, and they brought them and we deployed them at the house for testing. Um, so I have never actually personally seen anything that I can't explain, even though I, it was right out my window for for five years but um i know right yeah, but the uh <laughs> it's almost too bizarre <laughs> dude how could you live right on on the ocean looking out at catalina for and i lived in laguna before that with basically the same view so i have probably about 12 years with the window of my office looking directly at catalina island never saw anything i couldn't explain if i was cutting the comedy you're like looking, looking, and then the doorbell comes, the pizza guy comes, so you turn around, and but the camera in the shot, this giant ship comes right in the picture window and stops for a while, and you hear you're like, oh, you got change for a 20, da, 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 da. yeah, right, yeah, right, okay, here, keep this change, that's the pepperoni, right, and then right as you're finishing, the thing goes off, and then you're like, okay, you get the pizza, and you go right back to the uh, the window, waiting for something to happen. Or just tons of stuff. You're, um, you know, you're, you stop the car and you're like scratching your head and it's like literally right above you. It's like, look up. And you're like, oh, that's weird. I had a funny feeling. You know, you get back in the car and drive away. 
you know, and it's funny, it's not for lack of trying. There was a guy named Ed Grimsley that he's, he's gone now, but he used, he was the one that pioneered using night vision goggles to track stuff in the sky. And I actually had him come to my house with another guy that said that he could summon UFOs. I can't remember his name, but uh, the UFO summoner, <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, so, so I got, I get Ed Grimsley and the UFO summoner in my yard in Laguna beach, which is basically on a cliff overlooking the, the ocean over and, and out towards Catalina and nothing crickets uh, at the place in, 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 in San Pedro, I got guys with night vision goggles over there and we're, and, and people that said they could, you know, meditate and bring UFOs, nothing crickets. And so it's just like, okay, well, you know, I mean, I'm trying to get something here. And then Carolyn Corey, you know, who's a, a, a friend of mine and a very good filmmaker, she put together that group and they went out and they found some evidence in the same triangle. So, uh, you know, the stuff was truly right under my nose for years. It still didn't catch it. But that water between Catalina and the California coast is some of the deepest coastal waters on the planet. Um, it, it's, it, it's very, very deep. And so there's a lot of weird things that are supposedly going on there. I just didn't happen to see any of them. At this point, they're officially fucking with you, I think. That sooner or later, you'll probably have like 50 things you'll see. And it'll probably be it'll probably be a psyop. Yeah, it'll be like, okay, let's drive this guy crazy like we did that one guy, Phil Schneider. You won't bring you won't bring your camera out. There they all are. You know, I'll tell you during the during the course of making this movie, this has not been a pleasant experience. It's a year and a half of complete paranoia. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd come into my office and my hard drive on my computer was just chattering away, and I'm looking at something is transmitting data across across my computer um i was i believed that my phone was tapped i believe I that, that kind of comes with the territory being with mufon because they're 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 watched by the government anyway we know this but me personally i was starting to think you know you're really poking the bear and i hope you're not poking him too hard um because this this film does not leave these guys any wiggle room it's like come on where are you going to go from here how are you going to explain this and the official mantra of the What Matters Most podcast is we're not here to overthrow anything. We're just a pleasant observer. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I have had moments of, of severe, um, just kind of, there were times when I wasn't sure this thing was ever going to see the light of day. And I still, to this day, I won't believe it till I see it. And I wondered, uh, you didn't put anything in there about the Phoenix Lights, which was just crazy. You know about that, obviously. Well, you want to tell the audience about the Phoenix Lights and Governor Richardson's, and I know people that lived in the mountains around that who saw it, but go ahead. Tell me what you know about the Phoenix Lights. Well, I, I don't know the exact year, but you know, those these appeared to be like a giant flying triangle in the skies over Phoenix, witnessed by a lot of people. The government, the governor came out and kind of made fun of it. Uh, there's a pretty interesting movie out there about it that shows over and over again, just called the Phoenix Lights. I've talked to people that think that they were flares. I've talked to people that think that it was a, like a stealth blimp. So it's pretty inconclusive what they were, but they are one of the biggest UFO cases, you know, in history. Um, Lynn Cattell, Dr. Lynn Cattell has a movie about it. Um, my opinion on it is it's in the gray box. I, I don't think uh, that it was anything that, that wasn't technology that we own. Um, but it could have been. So it's it's one of those things that I just don't have a, a big opinion about. Richardson did come out later, though, and said it was real, and he saw it, and he didn't know what it was later after he was out of office. Yeah, that's that's true. That, um, but that doesn't mean it was E.T. And I love the way you dance around the alien word in the film. You were very careful. You were very, very careful. Well, one reason is that's what they're doing. You know, there's a whole chapter in the film called the A word is like, why won't you guys say it? And and we we kind of point out that, you know, it, it makes you really wonder, well, why aren't they saying it? And then that kind of segues into, well, maybe there's other things at play here. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's like one thing about MUFON that really drew me to work with them is it's not a bunch of tinfoil hat people. There are there are PhDs in MUFON. There are scientists. There, there are ex-government people. Um, these are all people that are really interested in the truth, not what they want the truth to be. And so 
98% of the cases that MUFON gets, we're able to explain. And, and, and the, uh, so we're not, we're not just looking for, Ooh, look, it was aliens. You know, we'll, we'll never even really say that unless we can scientifically prove it. And we're not there yet. So, you know, we're, it's, it's a solid investigative body that is, uh, that is dedicated to the truth. And we're not interested in, in misinformation. We're not interested in saying things that, that aren't correct. Uh, you're reminding me too, I was remembering the face on Mars that picture that got released and then they the nasa was like oh never mind that was lighting <laughs> you know i i've interviewed john, i've interviewed john brandenburg where there's a whole thing that i did about mars so i think you can find it on mufon's youtube channel um yeah mars is pretty weird um the uh the the face thing there does appear to be some sort of a a, a structure of monuments in that area that that are similar to some of the pyramid kind of layouts that you see in south america um but th i think the two there's two things about mars that are very compelling one is when they launched the i think it was viking in 1976 they sent it with uh um a three different tests to search for evidence of life well two of the tests came back positive for life and nasa then said well okay we're going to change the parameter of the test and, and, and so they actually changed the parameters so that they could say that, that they didn't prove life. And the guy that designed the programs, that designed the, the, the experiments, to this day says, no, we found evidence of life. And then there's John Brandenburg who says that there's radioactive isotopes on Mars that can only be produced by nuclear explosions. And there's one other way that these isotopes can be produced, and that's with a supernova. So if you look at the fact that these are concentrated on Mars, if it was a supernova, these radioactive isotopes would be everywhere. They would be, you know, because the supernova would have just blown them completely through our solar system, but they're not. They're on Mars, and there's only one place they can come from. And so he believes that there was a civilization on Mars that basically got nuked. Yeah, and there used to be water there. They've already said that. Well, there's still water there. There's water that they found at the poles, and they've shown evidence of active running water inside craters. So, you know, Mars is it's an interesting story. Uh, you know, I'm if I if I had to bet, I would say that at some point we will find evidence of past life on Mars. In fact, I'm I, I would suspect that that's going to be one of the ways that they break it to people is they say, oh, you know, we found some little microbes on Mars. Um, that's going to be the first life on other planets announcement, probably. And it's probably going to come pretty soon. I was watching one of the feeds with the thing that was driving around and all of a sudden something flew by it, like an orb or something. And they're like, oh, ignore <laughs> that. Then there was another picture that came out and it looked like a door in the side of like a mountain or like a in the rock. And they were like, that's not a door. Like, oh, you mean the door? Yeah, that door is not a door. Okay. Thanks for letting me know what you think. There's plenty of evidence of, of NASA airbrushing images, which is why, you know, they just announced that they're going to start doing a serious scientific study of these UFOs that the Navy's seeing. It's like, come on, guys, really? By the way, simple questions like, oh, who built the pyramids? And how come we can't build one now? Uh, or what about these rocks here in Central America and South America? There's stone. They don't know where it came from. And it's cut in a way where we can't cut stone like that now. And it's 5,000 years old. So how did that happen? Yeah, exactly. The, the evidence is all around us that there's way more to our history than we're being told. Have you seen the latest crop circles over the last 20 years where they bend and weave the wheat? They don't even cut it. And then there's like the Fibonacci code in it. And you can only see it from two miles up and it happens overnight. And then there was the one that had the really cool like ET face. And there was this coded message next to it. It said, beware the masters of deception. And there's still time. This is the great unreported. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's the thing. It's right in front of our face. It, yeah, it's right in front of our faces. It, that, and, and people that say, oh, this mean, nasty government that's hiding all this stuff and how dare they do it. If you really do your research, you're going to realize that the truth about this, everything the government knows has, or a lot of what it knows, has been leaked through different manners. Now, they're le it's leaked in such a way that it's there's a little bit of misinformation in it. 
But for if you're a hardcore UFO guy, there's about 40,000 people like that around the world that just this is what they're into. And the information has been shared. It really has. And it's it's like you have to use your own discernment. You have to do your own research. But the truth is 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 out there. And the people that are hiding this stuff have dropped breadcrumbs all along for if, if you have the, the interest to figure it out. And I feel absolutely 1000% sure that they're not a threat and never have been. And they, or, or look what they could have already squashed us. We're not even worth squashing. Well, you know, that, that that's an interesting thing that you bring up that people say all the time. It's one of the biggest questions I get is, well, you know, why don't they just disclose? And I used to, is humanity ready? And and there's just this generic answer that people always come up with. Well, of course we're ready, but it's a little more complicated than that. And now when I answer this question, after thinking about it for, you know, 20 years, I'm kind of like, um, it really depends on the context. If the government comes out or somebody comes out and says, well, you know, there's extraterrestrials. We've known about it for a long time. They're very advanced. They don't seem interested in us. They do their thing. We do our thing. And, and you know, there doesn't seem to be a threat. Everything's cool. Then everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, we knew that. And, you know, there's going to be a certain group asking questions. But for the most part, people just go back to their lives. But if the government has to come out and say, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's these extraterrestrials. We don't even know if they're from outer space or where, but they're here. They are invincible they have technology that we do not understand and they're here for some kind of a purpose and we're not sure it's good you know we could be property this whole planet could be just some big genetic experiment we don't know well then you've got panic in the streets so it's kind of it's truly what the context of disclosure is more than what the actual admission is yeah there might even be a lot of violence then on the earth oh wait we already had that yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I there's Linda Moulton Howe and I had a very interesting interview. Um, if you Google my name and her name, you can find it on YouTube. I put a lot of stuff just out for free. But she, um, her and I were talking about the idea that maybe there's this galactic federation kind of thing of spacefaring species and that there are multiple agendas for planet Earth. There are certain species that, 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 that treat a planet and a species a certain way and there's there's others that want to see us progress into you know a galactic citizenship <clears throat> and this is all conjecture so but, but <laughs> i'm not saying that i believe this is true i'm just saying that it's an interesting place to go uh so at some point humanity kind of got this uh the right to self-determine i think that you know we showed some spark of originality and and so now we're self-determining it's it's non-interference but just like any kind of of political system on earth you've got different races trying to influence the outcome and there could be one race that, that wants to harvest us in some creepy way or there could be another race that wants to see us evolve to the point where we can go and become another citizen in the in the galactic empire or whatever um, and it's up to us to 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 figure that out um, for ourselves and so they're waiting and they're watching. And, you know, right now we're failing miserably. The people say, how come the aliens don't land on the White House lawn? It's like, if I were an alien, I wouldn't come near this planet. Too hostile and barbaric. We're, we're just absolutely insane. And, and I thought that we'd kind of reach some level of sophistication and enlightenment until what happened in Ukraine. I mean, this is just like, holy moly. I, I used to feel pretty safe in this world. You know, you grow up in the United States, you, you're, you're doing pretty well for yourself compared to other people. I've never been in a situation where I felt like outside forces were going to make it difficult for me to just live my life and do my thing. Never had that. But now I literally do live in a state of, you know, very being very concerned that something is just going to come along and screw up my personal world and, and yours too. And, and that's not a good place to be. I didn't, I never thought I'd see that day. I think that's a very realistic take though. Yeah. It, it's sad. I mean, the, uh, if, if you look at prophecies from any religion, you know, they're, 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 we're seeing things unfold that, that might be pretty seriously detrimental. <laughs> I'd hate to see us destroy ourselves, but we're doing a pretty good job of, of just hugging that line. Well, we're pushing the boundaries of physics beyond with overshoot and warming the planet, throwing it out. 
I think the planet will definitely be fine. It's billions of years old, but it'll remove the viral cancer element that we are. And then it'll just recreate all kinds of other cool shit. And maybe they'll just, whoever that comes and goes, which I think they're infinite types of beings and dimensions, they'll just come and watch what happens next or maybe try to help or who knows. But I think we're headed towards extinction if we don't alter our course and we don't even want to deal with that. We're in denial. And so we're going to have the Thelma and Louise ending where we accelerate right over the edge. It's pretty rough. Yeah, it's pretty undeniable. I mean, if you believe in science and things like that. Well, you know, again, um, there's always the idea that we're living in some sort of a matrix, a simulated reality. And if that's true, then it's all just a big show. And if why is it a big show? Because we're spiritual creatures here to learn lessons and have this human experience that defines our being. Um, so you know, you could get really esoteric about it, but the fact is they're discovering that physical reality, the universe really does function as a simulation even if you don't buy simulation theory we know that matter doesn't exist it's 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 vibration of energy for that's it, being interpreted by our brain as a solid object we know that the universe itself is governed by mathematical algorithms so the fibonacci sequence pi it's all a program and, and so you know it's like even if you don't say well you know, we're, we're in, we're in some sort of a simulation. Well, actually we pretty much are, that's how it works. It works just like a video game. It renders reality that is subjective to where you're at in space and time. And, and then your mind interprets the energetic signals and builds a physical world around you. This is a simulation. Even if you don't, you know, even if you don't want to buy it is that. That take makes sense to me. Circling back to the, um, phenomenon and all that do you think they walk among us just your personal opinion there's rumors of that and truthfully if you were an extraterrestrial species and you were um you were studying earth you would have a way of, of doing that there's reports of of humanoid aliens and strange encounters i've interviewed one person who said they ran into what they call a tall white actually at wright patterson air force base so sure of course there's a there's a supposed species called the tall white. They look very humanoid, but they're pale, and um, they're telepathic supposedly. Um, and uh, I, I've talked to somebody that says they've met one. Before we let you go, what was the goal? Just to in, awaken the discussion, stimulate the conversation, open people's eyes to possibilities. Is that because if you were if that was the goal, accidental truth really crushed that. Well, thank you. <clears throat> the goal was to present a, a a film for the mainstream audience that in because I'm always asked, is there some movie I could watch or some book I could read that will get me up to speed? And what I wanted to do is encapsulate everything from the past as briefly as possible to now with the best evidence that has never been presented so that your average person can watch this thing and really it opens their eyes to the reality of the subject and so it's not a i mean it's ufo enthusiasts will like this movie for sure but i'm hoping that it catches a broader audience and kind of just brings people up to speed on what we know um because there's nothing in here that in, in the film that is conjecture we're we're painting a pretty good case the way i did the whole movie was as if i was presenting a, a case to a jury and um and so after you watch it if you can sit through it um, it's very heady and it's a nonstop bombardment of information, but it is what it is. And if you can sit through the movie, you're going to come out on the other side with a whole new opinion of what this is all about. Hopefully it makes people look inside themselves and figure out how this knowledge appeals applies to them, because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.